Now, let me share with you from 2 Timothy chapter 4 some words before we speak on this question of the authority of the evangelist. And listen to what the old man says to the young man. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be diligent in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Not the congregation having itching ears, but the preachers. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Good advice from a good warrior who was about to lay down his battle armor. Could I say very quickly to you tonight that when we talk about the authority of the evangelist, we must be thinking of the authority that he is given and also the authority that he exercises. I should imagine I wasn't asked or told which way to deal with this subject, but I sometimes read the mind of our dear brother Roger, or he reads mine. And by authority, we mean, if you like, in a passive and an active sense. The authority that is delegated to me and the authority which I exercise in my ministry. So we'd like to look of it, think of it in that way tonight. And the answer will be twofold, or if you like, threefold. The first will be what I call theological authority. The second will be what I will call empirical. Now there's a word to sink you all, but empirical the, uh, um, authority. And the other you might call it a practical or a pragmatic authority. Uh, let me tell you what I mean. The first authority of an evangelist comes from the need for what he stands for. Now when I lecture to the students in the Bible College of Wales, I have to spend a lot of time at the beginning of the lectures to make perfectly clear to them what we mean by evangelism. Now some of you heard me say this so often, you must be tired of hearing it, but hear it again. If I don't make clear to people what we mean by evangelism, then we do not have a case for evangelists. If there were no sea and no ships, there would be no such things as sailors. It's only because there are sea, is a sea and ship that you can have sailors. And if there's not a valid thing called evangelism, biblically stated, then there's no such thing as a valid evangelist. So your first authority comes from the concept. Now the way I do it down there in South Wales is I have a blackboard and I ask them to look at three words with me as I write them on the board. And the three words are evangelicalism, long word, evangelicalism, second word evangelism, third word revival. 
Now, I write them on the board, and I say to the students, now, you will never know what evangelism really is until you compare this word, as it were, with those other words. Evangelicalism is one thing, evangelism is another, revival is a third. So they say, well, what do you mean, Mr. Shepherd? Well, the answer is in the emphasis. Evangelicalism is conformity to biblical truth. I cross my T's and I dot my I's according to the scripture. I believe this Bible, as one black man said, I believe that book from lid to lid. And that's a good way of describing an evangelical. He doesn't judge the Bible. He lets the Bible judge him. He's the opposite of a liberal and a modernist. He is an evangelical. Now, that's the first thing you've got to learn, that you can be an evangelical person. Now, evangelism, if it's a valid point, if it's a valid point, and I'll try to prove it, does not primarily have to do with the evangelical truth, but the use of means to get that truth to the people who need it. In other words, the emphasis is upon the use of means to get that message to the people who need it. Now, revival is neither evangelicalism or evangelism, but it is something that is indefinable. Only to be known when you experience it. And one day, sooner than we think, God might grant to us what my father always called a visitation. He never called the Welsh revival a revival, did my dad. And he was one of the first converts. He said, but God visited his people. It says that when Jesus performed a miracle once, they said, God has visited his people. Now, revival does not have emphasis on truth. It doesn't have emphasis upon means like whipping up an audience into a frenzy, but upon the fulfilling of conditions. And better still, God doing something that produces conditions. Now the point I make to the students, and I make it to you, you've got to say to yourself, thank God that there is evangelicalism in the world, that a certain church is evangelical, that a certain minister is evangelical. But you can be thoroughly evangelical, and know nothing of being evangelistic. You can be completely evangelical and not be evangelistic. But you cannot be evangelistic unless you are evangelical. If you haven't got a Bible ministry, you're not an evangelist. But you could have a Bible ministry and not be an evangelist. Because it's evangelicalism. Now, I can't labor that too strongly here now, but it's worth you bearing it in mind. The best way, this is good Methodist preaching, when Methodists preached in their early days, they began by giving ten points of what the text did not mean, see? And then they say, now let us consider what the text does mean. Well, that's a good way of knowing what, what is evangelism? What is evangelism? Best way to know what it is, is to know what it is not. It is not evangelicalism, and it is not revival. With all due respect to my American brethren, whom I very much admire, I've been there several years, to several places, and whatever is said about the shallowness of some, I found that if our British people were half as good as they, I'd be very happy. But I would say this with due respect, when they announce revival meeting, come and hear Dr. Shepherd, I'm, I'm promoted uh, to a doctor as soon as I arrive in America. Very grateful. <laughs> <laughs> I bask in the glory for about a month or so. Uh, but they say, we're going to have 
revival, a brother revival, and some evangelists uh, advertise, if you want a revival in your church, you send for me, your favorite pastor. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, that's a tongue in my cheek. But the point is, revival, revival is not started in a week, it is. It's that something, when it happens, believe me, we are going to know. I've had a taste of it in my life on two or three occasions, and I know that at any moment, God can break into a place. So now, can you see what I'm trying to say to you? Is there a biblical distinction to be made? You see, are you an evangelist? I say, what do you mean you're an evangelist? What do you want an evangelist for? Because there's something called evangelism. Well, aren't we all evangelists? No, we're not. Maybe evangelical, your minister, you listen to your minister, he's good evangelical. Good evangelical. Amen. But lots of ministers who are evangelical haven't a clue. They haven't a clue how to evangelize. And, uh, and many ministers have said to me, you've opened my eyes. I never realized before uh, what, what it meant to go for people and reach people and, and speak the language that they understand and call for a verdict. Thoroughly evangelical, good man. But now, is it right to say that? Well now, that's all very well for me to put it like that, you see. You've no right to turn up and claim an evangelist, g- g- evangelistic gift. If there's no thing, such thing as an evangelistic, com- com- um, what is this word I'm trying to get? Uh, idea, concept, concept. If there is no such thing as evangelism, then there's no such thing as an evangelist. But the moment you can say, but wait a minute, I am needed. And the church needs evangelists. I've said to many principles of many of the theological uh, denominational churches in Wales, where are your evangelistic curriculums in the colleges? Why aren't you teaching people to be evangelists? They don't do it. They don't have it in the Presbyterians, or in the Methodist, or in the Baptist churches. It never enters their head. Now this is where Dr. Torrey and Dr. Charles Grandison Finney emphasize the need to teach men in the theological colleges to be soul winners, but they don't. It's not in, on the curriculum. I'm surprised that many evangelical colleges don't have evangelism as a, as a, as a, a discipline in their, in their curriculum. But I will say this to you, the Bible justifies what I say. Now, how can I know it? Well, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, you've got to imagine uh, with me tonight that this is a blackboard, and I've written three words here. Evangelicalism, uh, emphasis is on truth. Evangelism, emphasis is on the means of getting that truth to the people who need it. Revival is God stepping in with his own answer uh, to our need. Now, that's David Shepard's idea, you say. No, no. Let's see now what we can do. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and Paul says there that the head of the church, the head of the church has given something to the church universal. Verse 11. Verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. He, Jesus, the head, the owner, the purchaser of the church, gave some... Apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, the real translation ought to be, he gave some to be. He gave some to be. It wasn't that he gave to some churches apostles, and to other churches evangelists, but he gave some to be. Apostles, prophets, 
some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if I were writing those five words on the board, I would take the liberty of writing them in this way. I would put apostles and prophets there. I would put evangelists here. I would put pastors and teachers there. Now, if words mean anything, then there is a distinction between an apostle and a prophet, an evangelist, and a pastor and a teacher. I mean, if words mean anything, there must be a distinction. And as you look at those words with me, let me ask you now, what is the atmosphere you get from a prophet and an apostle? Answer, they are the foundation people. Our faith is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. What is the atmosphere you get from an apostle and a prophet? Evangelicalism. They got the truth from Jesus. They preserved it by word of mouth. They wrote it down. They conveyed it by catechismic way. And uh, through catechisms. I'm hurrying too much, I think. But you know now, the thing is this. That's the atmosphere. They established, they established the faith. Evangelists did not establish the faith. Philip did not establish the faith. Timothy was not asked to establish the faith. But to do the work of an evangelist with great power and exhortation and full of doctrine. But he did not establish the faith. So what do, what do these do? They extend the frontier. Uh, this should be easy to remember. They extended the frontier. Well, what are pastors and teachers then? Well, I would imagine that they are the ones who edify or build up the flock. The atmosphere of revival, keeping people healthy. And bringing people to seek the face of the Lord to get to know him better. Now, here's the first thing I say. Where is my authority? When I turn up in a place and I'm an evangelist, if somebody said to me, an evangelist, what do you mean, what for? I said, I tell you what for, because this place needs an evangelist with an evangelistic gift to indulge in evangelism, which, in spite of all your evangelicalism, you are not doing. Now, that's a fact too patent to need emphasis for me. Now you know perfectly well. I can tell you of a church in North Yorkshire where the young people were uh, going into the streets and they were contacting people and giving out leaflets and uh, I, I can't remember whether they were holding open airs but they were an outgoing people. A minister came in, a new minister. I knew him well and a nice man. He stopped all that. He stopped all that. They were not to go out to the streets and take tracts and reach. But my, when he preached the Bible, he preached for an hour. He was an evangelical. But he's not evangelistic. He, he, he wanted to be an apostle and a prophet, establishing the faith. Thank God for people like that. But what about giving it to people? What about giving it to people? Let me go back to my Blackwood. With great skill, worthy of Van Gogh, I draw two parts of the anatomy on my board. I draw an ear there, an ear. Not what the Welsh call a year. <laughs> oh, they say, my year is hurting. I say, that's 365 days. <laughs> an ear. I draw an ear. I draw a heart. I say, that's evangelism in a nutshell. Evangelism is a man or woman burning, bending every fibre of their being to capture the ear. For until the ear is captured, the heart can't be won, for faith cometh by hearing. 
And until we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, pour the evangelical gospel into unevangelized ears, then the Holy Spirit can win the heart. We never win the heart. I've never won one heart to Christ. I've only captured ears and preached the gospel. Then the Holy Spirit, through that moral pressure of truth, has brought them to himself. Now, can you see the first thing about the authority is theological. It's theological. If there's no such thing as a sea and a ship, then there's no such thing as a sailor. But if there is a sea and a ship, then a sailor is a perfectly valid definition. And the same thing, is there a concept in the Bible? You know, people said to me, evangelism doesn't appear very often in the Bible, does it? I said, you're right, three times. Timothy was told to do the work of an evangelist. Philip was called an evangelist who had four daughters who prophesied. So he must have been a good evangelist at home as well. And uh, then Timothy was told. Uh, This verse I quoted to you. But I've said to the critics, how many times does the word Christian appear in the Bible? And they say, no, I said three times. I said, so being a Christian isn't very valid, is it? It only appears three times in the Bible. Now, so away with this uh, poppycock about it being not mentioned there very often. Anything to avoid the challenge of taking the gospel to people. So now, that's my first one. What is my authority? I am something because there is a, there's a, a, a need defined in the word of God that is covered by the provision of the head. Now, we will come maybe not tonight to ask the question is an evangelist born or made you know they say about a poet is he born or made the more I study the poetry of some people the more I realize how they manipulated the rhyme and the concept Dylan Thomas slogged his guts out to get offbeat adjectives for his poetry so let's not be sure that even poets are born I think they work very hard at it is an evangelist born no he's made he's made Sometimes it takes 20 years for, to be an evangelist. When they first called me an evangelist, I said, Oh, no, I said, I'm not an evangelist, I'm only a preacher. I never called myself an evangelist for a long time. But in the end, they said it so often, I said, Well, I better, I suppose I better admit it. But I was not aware for, of it for a long time. But there is a thing called, there is someone called an evangelist in the Bible. Why? Because there's something needed called evangelism. And it's not enough to be evangelical. But then when we've said all that, we are always looking forward to the day when God will bring a revival. Now that's what I call the theological. Now the empirical, oh, I, I don't even know what the word means. <laughs> I do actually, I do actually. But um, if you like, it's, it, it, it's an authoritative statement. Nobody cavils. Now there's an empirical reason why I'm an evangelist. Do you know what it is? And I've said this before in a conference. In Psalm 24 we are told, The earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And uh, an evangelist, the best evangelist, is the man who feels keenly in his heart the affront done to the creator of the universe by the arrogance of people who claim the world for themselves. How I slate them at home in Wales. I say, don't talk to me about Welsh water, even though they pinch it in Birmingham. I said, listen, there's no such thing as Welsh water. There's no such thing as Welsh coal. There's no such thing as Arab oil. The earth is the Lord's. You call it yours, but by permission of the Almighty. Now, 
let me say this, it's worth thinking about. Let a man or woman be battered as they are by the arrogance of man who says, this is our world and God is here by permission. And the television authorities might give him ten minutes on a Sunday morning. And here are the ether waves that God has made. And he's only granted by the concession of, of sinners in the BBC. But when you go out and say, pardon me, pardon me, this is not man's world with God here by permission. This is God's world and man here by permission. That's why I admire people like Edwin who go to race courses. Do you know, I, I don't know whether I ever said this to you, Edwin, but a, a posh punster in, in the, what do they call them, punsters? They bet, they lose their money. Yeah, punters, punters, that's right. The ones who lose their money. Yes. Well, anyway, he was uh, at a race course and there was a Christian like Edwin preaching the gospel, you see. And this posh fellow with big check uh, suit, plus fours, I suppose, in those days, he said, good heavens, man, he said to this Christian, good heavens, man, he said, there's a place for everything. He said, that's right, sir, said the Christian, that's why we're here, that's why we're here. <laughs> I thought that was a good answer, good answer. You see the arrogance of man? Man's world and God by permission. Pardon me, God's world. Now, some people like Elijah, we heard Elijah quoted earlier, who said, I have been jealous. I have been jealous for the God of Israel. They've broken his covenant. That's what I admire about Charles Grandison Finney. Grandison Finney, 26-year-old, handsome man, brilliant mind, ripier logic. Wept, 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 wept. He, 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 he preached for two and a half hours and dominated his audiences with his tears. You know what grieved him most? The terrible way that men treated God. That's why repentance to him was putting, doing things right with God. I don't know how it works, but you start becoming timid and, feel, and feeling you're an intrusion. You see, you are an intrusion into man's privacy, if this is man's world. But if it's God's world, you're the most relevant thing in the universe. I think I told somebody here that when I was in Aberdeen, where they fry their bacon in dust to prevent it from shrinking, <laughs> when I looked round, when I looked round, you see, in the crusade, any Scotsman here? Do you know who told me that? An Aberdonian. <laughs> but anyway, when I looked round and I saw. Uh, no, no students, you see. I said to the committee, where are the students from Aberdeen University? Oh, they said, oh, they said, uh, the students won't be here. I said, and why ever not, I said. Are they a species? I said, I've got two children who've graduated from university, I said. They eat conflicts. They get up late in the morning. They leave their bedrooms in a mess. They fall in and out of love twice a week. I said, what do you mean the students won't be here? I said, they're sinners like everybody else. I said, ask the dean to let me go into the university. To which the dean very kindly said, Mr. Shepherd's welcome to come in. But he said, we don't have an assembly. You know, assembly as a school. But he's welcome to come. I said, where would be the best place to meet them? He said, in the refectory. Eleven in the morning when they're having buns and coffee. And I, I shall never forget it. You came in from the main road, from the road, and then you came into a big uh, but the size of this large marble sort of dais, which then became the steps in every direction. It was a big circle of death. And down there, there was this multitude, and the noise of eating and drinking, everybody talking, nobody listening. Down there, it was all students, you see. Now, 
No. Not because, not because they were students. It just happened. But anyway, no one was there to introduce me and ask for silence. I had to do it myself, see. So God has blessed me with a nice, quiet voice. <laughs> I said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, may I say I've had permission from the dean to be here this morning, but uh, forgive me for the intrusion, I said, but my name is Shepherd. I've come all the way from Wales. In other words, I've come 500 miles to say something, and I wanted to come here today to ask you to come half a mile to hear it. 500 miles to say it, half a mile to hear it. And I'm going to offer you a first century cure for 20th century complaints. I said, my... And I'll be down there in the city hall, see. You know what they did at the end of that? They stamped their feet, which is the Scottish way of applauding. Do, am I not right? You could think differently, but that's it. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, you see, people will say to me, that is an impertinence to break into the privacy of the students. And you're right. If this is man's world. But if it's God's world, you don't think like that. And I think this is terribly important. Very important. All oh, the times I've done it. There was a big college in, in Middlesbrough. Over from Stockton. Great big complex of colleges. So I said to someone, who's going to get me into those colleges, you see? Now there was a lecturer there who should have got me in. He was a Christian. But you know, backsliding Christians are ever so careful. Have you noticed how careful they are? We must be wise, you know. We must be wise. We must be careful. We mustn't offend. <laughs> Backsliders, we know. But you see, a little girl of 16 said, I'll ask the principal if we shall go in. And so, to cut a long story short, the principal said, yes, Mr. Shepard, come in. I, I said, where shall I come to? And the answer was the same. Coffee break. But I said, go back to the principal and say, would he be willing to give me a classroom for the day after? Back went the little girl. If she'd seen a mouse, she'd have screamed. But she went back to the principal. Please, sir, could Mr. Shepherd have a classroom? He said, certainly, he said, the science lab. When I found where it was, it was half a mile down the corridor. But anyway, fine. Now to talk to them, you see. And I shall never forget going into this place. This time they were sitting down. Hundreds of them, and the noise. Well, obviously. So how do I get silence here, even with my voice? Well, in the corner, there was a long table with about 24 students who'd already finished their coffee and their buns. So I said, gentlemen, I said, I want you to help me. When you see me making for that chair over there, I want every one of you together to say, shh. And you know, when you say, shh. Everybody stops. This is strange. Even, even if there's nothing to be silent about. But I said, no, are you ready? And so there was all this noise when suddenly from the table came, shh, don't wait. And I got up on the chair. I said, ladies and gentlemen, you must be wondering who I am. Well, I'm here by permission. By permission. And then I told them what I, what I, what, 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 that I was there to preach the gospel. And that tomorrow at one o'clock I'll be down in the science lab. And we'd like you to come. Not a lot came, about 40 came and about three of the staff. But the point I make is this. You didn't get up in the middle of the students' uh, uh, coffee break. There's cheek. <laughs> if it's man's world, yes. If it's God's world, no. Now that does not mean to say that I would flout the privacy. I asked for permission. The principal gave me permission. I don't say I could have walked in there... Uh, uh, regardless, I wouldn't have done that. 
I half stood up in a refectory before unannounced in a teacher's senior college. I told you that yesterday. And I just spoke to the whole staff and students there. But I hope courteously and politely and reasonably. And the response was good. But you see the principle? What is the authority of the evangelist? First of all, it's a theological one. There's a thing called evangelism. That's why there's a, a gift called evangelist. Because evangelicalism on its own is not enough. You know, a, a godly man, a man who I admire, said once in a meeting, a group of us, What's needed today, he said, what's needed today is to preach the gospel in the power of the Holy Ghost. To which all our hearts reply, Amen. But I said to him two words, To whom? To whom? What's needed today is to preach the gospel in the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. To whom? What's the use of preaching the gospel, the power of the Holy Ghost, when there's nobody there to receive it? And some people are perfectly happy. A girl, a woman that I know went to a brethren uh, assembly in a certain place, and she was there Sunday night, and the man who preached, preached a beautiful gospel, she said, a lovely gospel. She said to one of the elders, do any unconverted come in? Any unconverted come in? Oh, they said, certainly not. <laughs> certainly not. They don't love the gospel. And he was so happy that he kept them out. Delighted. So make no mistake. No mis you are needed. You are needed. I am needed. We need to... There's, there's a thing called an evangelist. Why? There's a need called evangelism. Oh, you mean prophets, apostles? No. You mean pastors, teachers? No. Although pastors and teachers can be evangelists. And when the apostles and prophets stood up, it was with great authority that the apostles witnessed to the resurrection. I'm not saying it's a watertight definition. And, a, 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 and I say that nobody would make a better pastor than a good evangelist. I, I think I'm on safe ground there. Uh, in my church, when people are writing to me to offer suggestions of what they could do in our church, I said, pardon me, dear brother, I'm doing them. I'm doing them. I said... I, I, first, my first word to the church was, no passengers on this ship, all crew. I don't spend hours sitting cups of tea in your house, I said. I'm not going to spend all my time on the scaffolding. We're here to build the church. And they went into action with me, bless their hearts. They went into action. And, and when I left, they carried on lots of the work. Now, have I made that clear to you? Authority of the evangelist. The authority given... The authority given, it is a theological one, it is an empirical one. This is God's word. Now it is also a pragmatic or, a, or a, if you like, an experimental one. You see, there is an, an authority that I have got to exercise. And uh, I am going to say this to you. The real authority of an evangelist is in the fact that he is equipped in a way... Now, take this with a pinch of salt, if you like. But he's equipped to be a step ahead, a step ahead. Now, that doesn't mean to say superior or better. But you see, an evangelist's authority is that he knows what he's talking about. And he knows what he's got to do. And he's prepared to go there himself. And he's prepared to take people with him. So, I will say this to you. You don't have an authority, but the authority of equipment. 
It's the authority of being a diplomatic man, uh, a, a man who can do things technically, theologically, and, and you're able to tell people what to do. If I may say it respectfully, many, many, many of the ministers of Wales have sent for me to lecture to them on evangelism. And goodness knows, the, academically, they'd knock spots off me. But they also know that I've learned the knack of, of going for people where they are. And uh, now that's where my authority is. I've got the right to be authority when I know there are things we can do that never enter their heads and that they can be done. Now when I was down in Fenefi years ago, I said to the Christians there, go home tonight, have supper, but don't take your shoes off and don't put your bedroom slippers on and certainly not your, 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 your house coat or whatever it is. You come back here at 10 to 10 to the tent. It was a big tent we had and I'd already worked, mapped the area. I said, you come back here at 10. And uh, I said, now, I said, you're going to, all of you go to the pubs. You five will go to such and such a pub, another pub, another pub, another pub. I had all the pubs covered, see. I said, now, at 10 o'clock, they're going to be kicked out of the pubs. In those days, it was 10 o'clock. Now, with so many clubs around and, and off licenses, you can be drinking till all hours. But this is the point. I said, you go. Don't ask a drunk to come to the meeting. Put your arm through his arm and bring him, see. <laughs> some of them needed bringing, too. But I said, you, you, you bring them, you bring them. Now, I said it almost uh, uh, peremptorily. You go, yeah. Why? Because I knew that it never entered their heads, but it entered mine. And I'd seen it work. And I had nothing to fear. He that is with you is greater than they which are in the world. Greater is he that is in you. You must have that feeling that uh, God is going to equip you for that occasion. But if you're not equipped, don't, don't despair, as we heard about discouragement. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. But I've got to say this. The authority of an evangelist is in his equipment. Until better men than him intellectually, better men than him spiritually, will say, this man is prepared to suggest things that never enter my head, but he's prepared to lead us into action. And you know that night in Tanetti, you'll never forget it. Before long back came the Christians with four and a rich army. And before very long, the, car, the tent began to fill with these men who were seeing pink elephants. And, you know, of course we sang long enough to sober them up a bit. But listen to this, listen to this. The police of Tanethi, and I have this on good authority, the godly old man in Tanethi went round with a banner. Hey, Tom Williams, I'd love you to meet him. A rather conceited Christian said to him one day, a deep Christian, you know, deep. He said, Tom Williams, he said, Tom Williams, you're carrying that banner in the flesh. Is that so, said Tom? Here we are, and you carried in the spirit. <laughs> He soon disappeared. He disappeared. Now, Tom, Tom knew Tanetti very well, you see. And, you know, the police had said to Tom, Where, where are the, the drunks of Tanetti? This is the quietest Saturday night we've had in Tanetti for 57 years. I don't know what happened 57 years ago. But the thing is this. Now, where is your authority? You, you know what you believe. You, you know what you believe. You know what this world needs. You can see people who are vacillating. They don't know what to do. It's surprising what they don't know what to do. Your authority is in your equipment. You've got to, there's that sun, there's that anointing, there's that humble confidence in the fact 
that you're doing what God wants for the world. And if nobody else is going to do it, you'll do it. And uh, they say, they say of D.L. Moody, he never waited for things to turn up. He turned them up because he had that feeling of what the world needed. Now, that's to me a great part of the authority. But then, going on from there, always remember, you know, I didn't expound that, but everything that I'm saying here is found in that little chapter to Timothy. Preach the word. Be instant. He doesn't say in season and out of season, but be instant in season, out of season. To the evangelist, Every season is in season. You know, people put in the little word. Be instant in season and out of season. He doesn't say that. Be instant in season, out of season. So that you are going to take that word to the world. Who you say is that so? Yes. This is God's world. The world needs the evangelism that we have. God's going to equip me. He may take a little time. Took, I, I look back and I made some big blunders. I don't think I ever blundered in reaching people. As soon as I got saved, I went into the open air, sometimes on my own. I had only two sermons to preach, and I can give you the points now. Sermon number one, I'm going to heaven, and you're all going to hell. <laughs> my second sermon was, you're all going to hell, and I'm going to heaven. <laughs> I, I don't remember, I didn't know anything more. But, but I stood and preached, see. And then I started going down to the grass of the houses, took my piano accordion, or a guitar that I played in those days, and gathered the children around me. You know what I mean? You, you don't, nobody becomes an evangelist overnight. You just get on with it. But slowly but surely, you begin to feel that God has sealed your ministry and made you something. I'm sure Billy Graham wasn't the evangelist he is today at one time. I know for a fact he came in 47, he came to our village. God did a lot for him in that village because he met some giants of the Welsh revival. And Billy Graham and I, there were a few months between us in age. But uh, when Billy came, he, I could have picked holes in his messages. You know Billy's way of preaching, don't you? Tonight, I want you to get a picture. The sun is dipping over the velvet hills. Are you born again? How <laughs> 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 we see this procession wending its way down? Are you converted? <laughs> and Billy was appealing every other line, see? <laughs> and I said to Dick Saunders when I heard him preaching, I said, you've got a bit of Billy, haven't you? He said, that's what I learned, did he say? <laughs> He said that when you get saved tonight, when you get converted tonight, he's already hyper-suggested the thing, you see, throughout the sermon. But Billy was not a great evangelist, but God told me something. And I told the Christians, that man is a great man. He, he was the same age. But the Spirit witnessed in my heart, that's a great man. And events have proved me right. But there was a time when he himself admitted, he admitted, he preached on the Tuesday afternoon, made an appeal, and no one came forward. And said, Billy, whose bow tie was wider than his, his shoulders. <laughs> In those days, you see. He said to the minister, I admire his honesty. He said, Edwards, he said, Edwards, says Billy, there's sin in your church. Because I always preach that sermon the first day. And people always get converted, see. Think of the honesty of the man. I always preach. I, I, I say to a church, I feel possibly that God might lead me tonight to speak on the same line that I've spoken before. <laughs> Not Billy. I always preach that. <laughs> 
Edwards Casalem, the minister I knew, godly man. He said, Billy, he said, preach the gospel. And God will honor you. He said, but I do preach the gospel. I said, no, he said, no, you don't. You preach the New Testament, Billy, but it's not the gospel. And by a quirk of circumstance, I was three years later in Westminster Chapel, London, where Billy was preaching. It was the same text. And if you like, almost the same points. It wasn't the same message. Billy had become something. He became, he became a dimension, which was the seal of God upon the man. So, I don't ask you to go around throwing your spiritual weight around. But it's nice to meet a man, and they say, this man knows where he's going. He knows where he's going. He knows what we ought to do. It says in the Old Testament that there were certain men who knew what Israel ought to do. My authority is theological. God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. It is empirical. The earth is the Lord's. I'm not an intrusion. I'm the most relevant thing in the world. And those who feel it will act upon it. And then it is, if you like, experimental. That my authority comes from my equipment. But also from what I handle. Always remember, young people, and with this I close... I always meet people saying, oh God, give me power, give me power. Give me. I say to the students, what do you mean by power? What do you mean by power now? Come now, what do you mean by power? Is it a warm glow? You're going through your body and your face is shining? I said, if you use the right towel, you can settle, you've got a shining face. Then. I said, well, what do you mean by power? Do you know what I tell them? The power is in the commodity. The gospel is the power. When you read in the Acts of the Apostles, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It's an incorrect translation. You shall receive the power of the Holy Ghost. I've never felt conscious of power. It was a great burden to me in my young days. I wanted to feel power. You can only feel power when you use it. Is there power in my hand? I don't know. can't feel power, but look at that. When I pick it up, I say, Power is only demonstrated in the moment that you are using it. You don't feel it. I don't feel power. And, uh, but I know that the authority comes from the Word of God. And when you use the Word, as Dr. Torrey says, don't describe the sword as being made of the best Toledo steel. He said, use it. And then they'll know that it's a sword. Now, that's the best I can do. Think about that. Listen, God is very patient. <laughs> I look back at some of the messes I made, some of the things I, I said. I thought, oh dear God, I'm glad I, I've learned not to do them again. So we're all learning. It takes time. Got to give God time. But there it is, the authority of the evangelist.